it was my job to take the garbage out. Ever since the time I can remember in our home growing up, there was seven of us kids. There was uh, my brother and me against five girls. It's the way it worked out. And my brother was four years older than me, and I was the youngest son, and it was always my job to do two things. To clean after, up after the dogs and to take the garbage out. This one day, I was taking the garbage out, and I was just getting ready to put it into the trash can when I heard this. Jeffrey. And it was unmistakably the voice of my father. And whenever my father would say, Jeffrey, I knew that I was being put on notice for something. Something. Anything, but something. And there it was. Jeffrey, and I just was about to put the garbage, it's just burned on my memory. I was about to put the garbage into the trash can and I heard Jeffrey and I just, I stood straight up. And I turned around and there was my best friend Greg McGann who had learned to imitate my father's voice perfectly. <laughs> Never forget that. Today Greg McGann is a devoted follower of Jesus and a school superintendent, but I want to tell you, that day he needed Jesus. <laughs> Man. And I turned around and I said, Greg! And I began chasing him, and he just ran away. He was much faster than me, laughing all the way away. Some people speak, and their words carry more weight than others. In our lives because of who they are. So when my wife says something to me, that's important, right? There's a different priority scale, right? Or when my father pulls out the Jeffrey, or my mother, or different priority scale. So when we hear the words of Jesus, it kind of is like my friend Greg using those words. Not, I didn't even see my father, but it's because of who he was. And because of who Jesus is, sometimes the weight of his words fall on us a little heavier than others. And so when Jesus said this, I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. It makes me say, well then, what should I do, Jesus? There are some of the most sublime words in all of Scripture in the midst of one of the most telling and poignant scenes in the life that Jesus shared with his followers. I think if there was any scene in the Gospels that I would have liked to have been a part of, it's the scenes in the upper room. I just think that would have been amazing to be there. To hear John tell it, you get the sense of the intensity and the depth of the deep, deep love Jesus had for his followers, as John tells it this way in the 13th gospel, in the 13th chapter of John's gospel. It was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He, he knew that. He knew all things were under his power. He knew that he had the authority and the power and the superiority that no one else had. He knew that at that point. And because he knew that, it says, so, because he knew he had all that, he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I hope you heard those sublime words. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. What do you do when you love someone that much? When love is not just a Hallmark card, Valentine's Day sentiment. When your love goes into action, but not just any action, but in, in this action of what I would call a downward ascent. That's right, a downward ascent. You, you move into the position of serving, and in doing so, you reveal how great and high your love for them is. I mean, it's all through the Scriptures, but here, right here, upper room, dirty feet, basin, towel. The words Jesus spoke just two days before, the greatest among you will be your servant, just spoken two days before now explode into living color in the upper room scene that we're looking at. And it is here, right here, right now with Jesus. The one person who was the last person expected to carry out this common servant's task is the one person who is the first person who was willing to put aside his uncommon superior position. He loved them to the end. So what does it take for me to love like that? What does it take for me to set aside what I deserve or what I prefer or what is rightfully mine or, or what my position is to love them to the end? What does it take One of the best hints comes from Romans chapter 12. In the message paraphrase, it says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Be good friends who deeply love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. That's what it means to be devoted in brotherly love. That's what it means to honor one another above yourselves. The title of this sermon I take from a book, a little booklet actually from Dr. Tim Keller, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. What a concept that is, self-forgetfulness, and intentionally, intentionally forgetting to make my desires, my expectations, my preferences, my view, the priority. 
intentionally forgetting to make life about me. And there is freedom in that. There is freedom in giving ourselves away, in sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others. You know, I said it last week, and I'll say it again, because nothing captures for me the nature, the definition of this love, this agapeo love, more than this thought. It's seeking the highest and best good for the sake of the other at the expense of personal sacrifice. I have said that over and over and over and over for years and years and years, and I probably repeat it most, not so that you or others hear it, but so that I hear it. Seeking the highest and best good for the sake of the other at the expense of personal sacrifice. And when I do live that and get my focus off of me, you see, then I am free to love, to really love. I think a lot of that we get, actually. I, I, I think we can grasp the notion of the highest and best good. I think we get that. I think we know that love really is for the sake of another. Whether that's God or others, we know that love is for the sake of another. But it is this last part that presents me and us with the greatest challenge, at the expense of personal sacrifice. The idea has different descriptors, really, this idea of self-forgetfulness, right? This, this personal sacrifice, this expensive personal sacrifice, has the idea of self-forgetfulness, has the idea, an ancient idea, of self-donation. I love that language. Self-donation. Self-sacrifice is a, is a well-worn term, overused term. I think we use self-sacrifice so often we have forgotten what it means. Self-donation, self-sacrifice, self-forgetfulness, all of which are the polar opposite of the human condition and attitude that's been resident with us since the Garden of Eden. And that is self-serving, self-absorption. But there's a real beauty in giving ourselves away. And is there any better portrait captured in time than the king of kings with his hands full of dirty feet, right? We, we here's one of those places where you just can't romanticize the relationship between Jesus and the disciples. Because this isn't like our day where we have nice shoes to cover our feet in, right? This isn't our day where we go home and we get cleaned up in the privacy of ourselves. This is where they walk into the home and the lowest in the room is supposed to wash their feet because they're filthy dirty. They're like brown dirty because of the dirt and the grime and the muck that they might have walked through that day. So here's the king of kings with his hands full of dirty feet. And I asked myself, Jeff, could you forget yourself enough to love like that? The king of kings. The, the one we, we already established, the scriptures tell us, had it all. Could I really forget myself enough to really make it about others? I mean, he not only has dirty feet in his hands, he even is holding Judas's feet in his hands. I wonder if I did that, if we did that. Maybe they would say about us what Jesus said about Jesus. 
He loved them to the end. She loved them to the end. And so from Jesus, right here and right now, we learn that loving like this is not just some action we do because we are religious. Or a duty to fulfill, or an add-on because the optics look right. Or even a way to express affection, infinity, and support for someone. But rather, what this is about is about who we really are. In fact, loving like Jesus is about our identity more than our action. Is it not? It's really about our identity. You know, Thomas Merton's words have been sitting in my mind for a few weeks now. But now's the chance and the opportunity to speak them out. He said, to say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence. For God is love. Love is my true identity. Selflessness is my true self. Love is my true character. Love is my name. Those words have been tumbling over in my mind, my heart. If I say that I'm made in the image of God, if I say that I'm going to say to God, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee, if I say that God, I'm, I'm going to live my life for you, I'm going to be your follower, then Love is my true identity. Selflessness is my true self. If somehow someone ever thought to etch that on my tombstone someday, I would be good with that. I think you would be too. I think that's what Paul is really getting to when we look at that core verse of this entire series from Ephesians 5 when he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. This is about our identity as beloved children of God. We're to become like our Heavenly Father in the way He has loved us, with Jesus showing us how to do that. And there is one way to do that to give yourself away, to give yourself up. Not to give yourself away in such a way that you didn't look at others and tell them how to give yourself away, but give yourself away. But that can be very scary. That can be very fearful. We start being serious about giving ourselves away. We start becoming serious about this kind of life, of love. That can become scary. I think Les Parrott strikes to the core of why it's so difficult to sacrifice ourselves. He says the greatest barrier to compassion is fear. The fear of not being first or not getting what we need or what we want pushes us to the front. It causes us to seek our own advantage and look past what might help others. We're afraid. We're afraid somehow we're going to be forgotten. We're afraid somehow we're not going to get what we think we need. We're we're afraid that, that our wants aren't going to be met. We're afraid that someone else will get more attention than we will. We're afraid of all kinds of things. And what that ends up doing is causing us to focus on ourselves. And what begins to happen as we get so focused on ourselves, we become unaware of how we're not loving other people. I believe fear is at the heart of this. I I think we can understand it better this way. You probably have heard the story about the great conductor, Leonard Bernstein. He was being interviewed. He was asked this question. What is the hardest instrument to play in the orchestra? And his answer was immediate, right? He said second fiddle. 
I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm, now that's a problem. Every time I hear that quote, and I've heard it many times, I, I think about, could you imagine a second violinist like playing with all the gusto they could possibly play because they get to play second violin? Because they get to be second. Because they have the privilege of being second. That's the image here for us. But why is it hard to find that second fiddle? The fear of not being first. The fear of not getting what we need. The fear of not getting what we want. The fear that we won't count. The fear that we'll be forgotten. But then we read the words of Scripture that are so life-forming and liberating. First John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And the most perfect form of love, as we have seen in Ephesians 5, is as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Perfect love, that love that is perfect, love that is truly fulfilled. The, the word that's used there for perfect is teleos. That's the word in the original understanding of this passage in 1 John. And what that word means is to be genuine, to be truly fulfilled. It, it has the idea of completion to it. But there's also another meaning, and that is the full initiative to act. It's this idea of being so complete that there's also this initiative to act. It is the love that takes the first step to sacrifice. And that is the power to overcoming our fear of self-sacrifice. And when that happens, when we take the first step, not waiting for another, then love happens and love releases us from our fears and enables us to love like Jesus. I mean, it all sounds really good in a sermon, doesn't it? It's really easy to read that in a book or hear it, listen to it on a podcast. Or, but it's not all that easy much of the time, isn't it? Let's be real about that. So we must ask, we must ask real questions. What will be the first step I take to sacrificially love another person? I want you to think about the person you need to do that with today. There's someone clearly in my mind today. What will be the first step I take to intentionally play the second fiddle. What is it in your life right now where you need to put yourself in second place and be joyful about that? To enthusiastically play second fiddle to someone else. What are the dirty feet you will take the initiative to wash? Where is it? Who is it? <laughs> it's like Jesus standing behind me going, Jeffrey. <laughs> Not so much in that fear-based 
circumstance I used to be in, but in this deep love. Saying, I, I gave you an example of what to do. Now you should do as I have done. What dirty feet am I to wash? And, and here's something to think about. Whose feet of an enemy do I need to wash? Or someone different than me? Someone doesn't believe like me? Someone who's at odds with me? How do I wash their feet? I want to leave us this morning with an image of what love really looks like. Look, put the next slide up. That, that's what love looks like. Why don't you just look these x-ray images of love. It's one of the most compelling stories and probably the most compelling story for me in the entire book that Les Parrott has written entitled Love Like That. It's the story of Margaret Mead. Some of you know that name. Margaret Mead was one of the most renowned, if the most renowned, cultural anthropologist in the 20th century in America. And she was lecturing, and a student asked her what she thought was the earliest sign in a civilization of civilization in a culture. And the student expected her to give an answer about productivity, or commerce, or self-preservation, you know, about where do you see evidence of civilization, something like a clay pot or perhaps a fish hook. Or maybe a grinding stone where they ground the implements of hunting and war into sharpness. But her answer was none of those things. She explained that the one sign that civilization had begun in a given culture was a healed femur. The largest and longest and strongest bone in the body. A healed femur. And she went on to say this, that where the law is survival of the fittest, history finds no healed femurs. But where civilization is evidenced, healed femurs show that someone cared. Because that meant Someone had to do that person's hunting. And that meant someone had to do that person's gathering until their leg was healed. And so they had to give of themselves for the sake of another. And she said that is the first sign that civilization has come. What about the kingdom of God? What about that civilization, that government, that kingdom? 
What if the first sign that the kingdom has truly come to my heart and life is that I sacrifice for the highest and best good of another? So what does it take for me to love like that? What does it take for me to love them to the end? Well, you know the answer to that when you honestly answer this. What does it mean, Jeff, for you to choose self-forgetfulness for the sake of another? I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come. I invite you to stand with me and let's pray together. Oh God, we, just, we find ourselves sitting in the upper room with you this morning. Lord, we're watching you wash the feet of these followers of Jesus. And how, Lord, I rejoice in those who've gathered this morning. And as I look out, even as I'm preaching, I, I see many here today who would be the kind of people that would bring healing to the femurs of people in their lives. I see people here who sacrifice for the glory and good of God and the highest and best good of others. I pray, Lord God, for us that today this would not just be a sermon to listen to or a study to have or a series. God, I, I pray that I would in new ways practice self-forgetfulness. That I would in new ways play second fiddle. Lord, I would in new ways not make it about me what I prefer, what I want, even what I need. And I pray that I and that we would truly give ourselves away. May we love like that, I pray. In Jesus' name. around this sanctuary and I see a lot of people who do that. And I celebrate that. And this is such a courageous thing. All my dreams, all my plans, I give to you, God. And the good and the not so good. And the places where it's a blast places where it's hard, I give myself away. So as we go from this place today, may we go firmly committed and placed in the hands of God. May our lives be given first and foremost completely to Him. And may through us he love others.
to the very end, to his glory. Lord, show us how to wash the feet of those we come in contact in our lives. Show us how to give ourselves away to your glory and for their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you greet one another in the name of the one who gave himself for us? God bless you. You're dismissed.